Well, we're about four days late with this podcast. Oh, so late. I'm so sorry about that, Rafer. Apologies to all the listeners out there, and thanks to everyone who uh, gave their well wishes to Kristen, who was uh, quite ill over the last week or so. Kristen, tell us your story. You don't even want to look at my tonsils. Oh! That's when I knew that it was uh, it was really bad. because What do you got, what do you got going just, on in there, I'd Kristen? I'd been exhausted, and I wasn't sleeping, and I was coughing, and I haven't been eating. And then finally I just grabbed a flashlight, and I looked back there. Oh, God. Oh. If I, it looks like the zombie apocalypse hit my tonsils. And should I talk about the pockets of pus or the open... You got strep. Oh, God. It was so bad. Ooh, it was strep's so, a killer. so bad. Quite I, literally a killer, actually, right? If you, if you leave it untreated, it can kill you. Yes. And you can get scarlet fever, which I had as a kid once. Oh. Yeah. I had a lot of strep throat when I was a kid. And as an adult, I've been super lucky not to have too much of it. But yeah. I've had a combination of strep throat and a killer viral infection. Yikes. The strep throat's... Mostly gone now, but the viral infection is not. But I'm back at work now and back at the mic and so excited to talk about movies with you, Rafer. That's why I've got you in the other room behind <laughs> behind two sheets of glass and a vacuum air pocket in between. I'm running the boards. You're running away. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got my hazmat suit on. And once you're, once you're decompressed and cleaned, we can shake hands again, Kristen. Um, yes, we have a lot of movies to talk about. A uh, little, little catch-up we're playing. Uh, we've got Love the Coopers, holiday-themed film. Oh, yay, holiday movie. I'll let you know. I'll let you know if you should see that one, Kristen. Um, the 33, the big, yes. uh, huge, uh, sort of, I guess biopic is not quite the right word. It's but it's those the, Chilean miners, the right. real thing that happened. Right. Exactly. Uh, then uh, by, uh, by the Sea, that's the new Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt drama set in France. Uh, she wrote it and directed it. And then we're going to talk about Spotlight, uh, the story of the Boston Globe reporters who broke the story of the uh, Catholic Church sex abuse scandal that went worldwide and is pretty much, I'd say, still still reverberating today. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about all those. We'll have trivia. We'll have a little uh, extra discussion about what movies that Kristen and I haven't seen that when we reveal that secret to people, they get enraged? <laughs> That's based on a listener question, isn't it? Yes, it sure is. We'll have all of that. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And this is Movie Date. All right, Rafer. Let's start off with a little something that I like to call the best movie time of the year, holiday movie time. Your yes. favorite, the I holiday season. It. Yes, and while I was sick, I have to tell you, Rafer, I watched about a dozen holiday movies on the couch. Did you really? Oh, so many, yes. Name, name a couple, just a well, couple. Well, The Mistletones is one of my favorite holiday made-for-TV movies in recent years, starring Tori Spelling and Tia Maori. She's one half of that Tia and Tamara identical twins team. Oh, yeah. And they play dueling holiday singing uh people that each have their own group and oh it is so fantastic and fast-paced and is completely it just embraces how ridiculous it can be wow the yeah. mistletones i've the never heard of that tones it is so great so i watched that twice okay <laughs> saw miracle on 34th street of course saw dear santa which dear is about, santa yeah it's kind of like the same movie as sleepless in seattle only it's like a letter to Santa Claus, not a call to a late night radio show. I see. You know, from a kid who wants her dad to have a wife for oh, Christmas. I, that kind okay. of thing. I saw so many. I saw Elf. I saw, well, Elf's great. Yeah, of course. So I'm, I won't list everything because the list gets progressively more embarrassing the more movies <laughs> I name off. But yeah, I love holiday movies. And I wish that there was some way for me to see 
Love the Coopers while I was sick because I was looking f- to see if it was streaming anywhere, but it's just in theaters, right? No, it's only in, it's only in theaters. Uh, well, um, we'll see if this will be added to your future uh, movie uh, holiday movie list. Um, this is quite a cast. Uh, Diane Keaton, John Goodman, uh, Ed Helms, Amanda Seyfried, Alan Arkin, Marissa Tomei, just to name a few. Uh, they play, um, well, Amanda Seyfried's a different story, but most of them play uh, varying generations of the Cooper clan, dysfunctional family. They're all coming back uh, to uh, gather for the Yuletide season, as dysfunctional families do. Uh, Ed Helms has uh, just lost his job. Marissa Tomei has been arrested for shoplifting. Let me guess. Somebody's probably gay. Uh, we'll get Some, to that. Let, let me guess. Somebody's probably getting divorced. We'll get to that. Well, let me guess. Somebody might be sick with something. <laughs> oh, nobody is sick with anything. Oh, that's weird. Amazingly enough, no one's is, have, no one has a terminal illness in this. I have never seen that in a holiday dysfunctional dinner get together. I mean, one, you somebody's know, dying. Alan Arkin is uh, a senior, so he does have some health problems, but uh, no one has a terminal illness as far as we know. Um, they are uh, so we what we have here obviously the usual uh, multiple storylines and uh, again a magnificent cast let's hear a clip brown young virgin really you think it's a song about a brown young virgin and her mother and her child I didn't write the song Charlotte I was a music teacher and round. That's what it is. She's a round young virgin. Uh, it's much better. Very Christmassy. Hold on. This is, by the way, not Diane Keaton's first foray into this holiday family gathering. Only in the past, she's died, right? She's been the one with the terminal illness in these movies. Which one? What movie? To what movie do you refer? The movie I refer to is called The Family Stone. Oh, yes. Right. Yes, yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> well, then, see, here you go. We're, we're in your comfort zone. Kristen, because here she is playing uh, a, a mom of the other uh, Coopers with John Goodman, who is her husband, and um, they are the ones who are going through a divorce. They don't want to tell the kids that they're getting divorced quite yet because they want them to enjoy a nice Christmas, and their children are, you know, having some problems. Um, this is directed by uh, Jesse Nelson, who did uh, I Am Sam. And mm. um, so I guess, uh, you know, as I say, this is very familiar very familiar territory right uh four christmases uh fitzgerald family christmas so we've seen this kind of a million times there's a teenage character there's a little boy character um something about this movie um is so uh cloying and um and and overly sentimental there's a narration by steve martin that oh. is just um unbearable i found uh, as they always are in movies and especially movies like this you know telling us the sad backstories you know so and so and so was on her 39th eggnog of the day when she realized blah 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 everyone talks like something out of a self help book and I-, I will say a couple things about about um the Alan Arkin character. Alan Arkin is always great, um, and he is great here. However, he has got this storyline where he has a little bit of a crush on the local waitress, played by Amanda Seyfried. Um, oh, gross. Now, Alan Arkin oh, is over on. 80. Um, She's and like in her 20s still, Amanda right? Seyfried is under 30, and believe it or not, there's a romance there. This movie dares to go there, although I think even the movie itself gets so kind of embarrassed and appalled by the whole thing that it starts to fumble that whole storyline and sort of massage it in these weird ways to kind of avoid what we're all thinking, which is basically WTF. Yes. And um, 
that, I have to say, alone might have sunk the movie. But uh, the sad fact is everyone in this movie is so good um, and everything else about it is so bad. It is like it's just this terrible crazy quilt of plots that don't go anywhere and you've got all these sort of sentimental you know Whitman sampler type embroidery things that you'd see on someone's wall that passes for dialogue it's like you know it's the movie equivalent of like an ugly sweater basically it's oh, just this hold on. is should i a, watch this or not no based on don't this? do not do not watch this and i think the movie has has fared um pretty poorly at the box office uh, this was i thought a terrible terrible christmas date oh. so i don't i don't think this is going to be on your future list Kristen. oh well thank you so much for warning me Rafe. there you go go back and see the mistletones for yet a third time yes i will <laughs> i will Let's move on to something more serious, Rafer. The 33, which yes. is about the mining disaster in Chile uh, in 2010, where 33 men were trapped underground, not just for days, but for months. Tell us more about it, Rafer. Yes. Uh, so uh, these guys were working in a, uh, uh, it was a copper mine, I think, partly. Uh, they are way, way, way down, down, down in the uh, in the oh, depths yeah. of the mines. They're driving and driving yes. and driving to get there. You can't yes. walk down there. It takes an hour to drive down into the mine, uh, as we see at the beginning. Um, Antonio Banderas plays uh, Mario. He's uh, become sort of the de facto leader of the group. Uh, the press dubbed him Super Mario later for his uh, leadership skills and his organizational skills and his uh, survival instincts. Uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, uh, good to see him again, plays mm-hmm. uh, Don, Don Lucho, who is uh, the safety engineer who um, comes in for a bit of uh, a bit of flack from his fellow uh, miners for covering up a few secrets here and there, let's say, about the condition of the mine. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is the story of what happened to them, how they survived for those, uh, what was it, more than two months, I think, it right? It was, yes. Almost 69 days or something crazy like that. Here's a clip. 29. We're all here. I thank God for that. All right. So, Rafer, I remember when all of this was happening. I yes. was glued to my television set. And I was working at The Takeaway at the time. And we did this story every single day for weeks oh, at a time. of course. We were obsessed. And I think the whole world was obsessed with this whole thing. And I remember when the first tiny little tunnel went down, which was only about half a foot wide. Mm-hmm. It was about six inches. And it went down there. And it was just enough to actually communicate and send down supplies yes. to the guys who were alive. And the fact that they were even alive was a shock to the world because right. at that point it had been over two weeks and they did not have enough food. No, they had enough food to last them for like three days yes, or something and, insane. And, and thanks to Super Mario, that food was stretched out right. for that whole time. But these guys were essentially starving to death and they'd already had their last meal. They split one can of tuna yeah, between tuna, all 33 Tuna of them. soup. soup, and, soup tuna and water. Yep, that's it. So it was a really big story at the time and I was super excited for this movie to come out. But I'm going to say this. Watching everything inside the mine in this movie, which I was excited to see, mm-hmm. It didn't really deliver what I wanted it to deliver. And I think one of the problems is that watching people trapped in a mine that can't do anything to get out, 
isn't I, that exciting. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. just not. It's not like watching The Martian where someone's trapped on Mars but is using all sorts of innovations and creativity to get out of the situation. Right. No, you're trapped in a mine, and there's absolutely nothing you can do except be trapped in the mine and maybe get into fights with your fellow guys down there. Right. Um, I, I, yeah, the movie, I think, starts out fairly strongly, at least when the mine collapses. It's a pretty spectacular sequence, and, oh, it, yeah. and it does give you a really good uh, idea of, of what they were up against and just how impossible it was for them to escape. There's a, a giant rock that basically falls straight through the center of the mine and blocks their path. And it's a it's this giant rock that's like twice the size of the Empire State Building. There's no getting through that. There's there is nothing to be done. And so they are helpless, as you say. And I, and I, I agree with you. That's part of the problem. It's I think I think there's two things working against this movie uh, or maybe even three things. One, one is that there's nothing they can really do. And so most of the action takes place above ground with people trying to drill their way through and figure out this complex geological problem of how to get these drills down there and get to them. Uh, you know, as one character said, it, you know, it took them 100 years to drill that far in the first place. So how are they going to do that within a matter of days to save us? Um, Two, uh, uh, we know the outcome because we all remember this story. Yeah. I mean, it was a worldwide sensation, st- sensational story. And the reason we remember the outcome is because it was so miraculous. Uh, no one expected that to happen. That's not how mining disasters go. And I think the other problem is the 33, when they sold their the rights to their story, um, you know, they made this pact underground that is still kind of held, which was to speak in one voice and not have one person be the story. And so I think um, the movie tries to pay pay mind to that to that idea and not not just focus on one person. Um, but you can't tell 33 no. stories in a two hour film. And so what they wind up doing is compositing and fictionalizing. And so there are these characters that because they're not quite real characters, they don't ring true. And specifically, I'm thinking of the alcoholic character who Ah. goes through an epiphany when he's down there. And I understand why they do that, but that also means to me that Juliette Binoche, who's in this film and is a main character above ground, is not really a real character. She's also kind of a fiction slash composite of all the families who, you know, camped out at the mine and and pulled for their their loved ones. And it just, I think the movie is too pat, it's too tidy, it's, yeah. And it doesn't feel true to me. It feels it feels a little ginned up and a little over-dramatized in a Hollywood way. You I know? totally agree with you, Rafer. I totally agree with you. And I think that part of it is just the challenge of the story, that there wouldn't have been a way around it, really, yes. unless you could just focus on a few characters. It's what I like to call the 19 kids and counting problem. So <laughs> the Duggars. The Duggars. You know, I'm obsessed with them. Yes. but. The one of the problems of that show is that you can't really keep track of all of these different characters. Right, it's impossible to re- really know who is this person and who is this person, who is this person, and because at a certain point it doesn't feel like characters; it feels like just a mob. Right, it's, and and so that is an inherent problem of the story, which you can't really fix right. unless you did just focus on three characters who really were real without this agreement that you talked about, but. So I, I have to say I was very disappointed. It kind of made me want to just go back and look at a documentary or the actual news coverage. Right, right, or or uh, or read the book Deep Down Dark, uh, yes. which was the book that they that they where they sold their rights in the first place. Um, yeah, uh, I, I agree. I, I it's not. I, I would not say it's a bad date because it is somewhat compelling, uh, and it is you know it's a, it is a good story. 
I just thought it was kind of a subpar, a subpar movie in general. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Rafer. It was, to me, at times kind of a boring date, actually. <laughs> Let's move on to the sea, by the sea. Should we go by the sea, Rafer? Let's by the sea. Oh, um, yes. Yes. So uh, this is the new uh, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie Pitt movie. Uh, that's how she bills herself now. Yes, Do you know that? She Jolie does. Pitt. She does. And she directed this. Didn't she write it also? She wrote it and directed this film. Um, and of course, what you have here are two real-life famous spouses playing uh, fictional spouses on screen. They're married. Uh, Angelina Jolie plays Vanessa. She's a dancer who has hung up her toe shoes and um, Brad Pitt plays uh, Roland who is a writer and he is having trouble finishing up his first novel. They go to the Côte d'Azur in France. Uh, it's actually filmed in Malta but they go to the, court, the Côte d'Azur uh, to have a little vacation. Uh, maybe he can finish his, uh, finish his novel. They meet a younger couple, some honeymooners in, uh, in the next adjoining uh, room and uh, this kind of arouses a little something in this troubled marriage. Here's a clip. Are we ever going to talk about it? Nessa? Do you hate me? You know my reason. Do you want to hurt me? You're nothing. Hurt me? Come on! So I think Angelina Jolie wanted to make something like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, something like Contempt, the Godard mm-hmm. film, uh, which is a movie I kept thinking about this entire time. Um, and what's interesting to me about this movie is that I think Angelina Jolie is actually a really strong director. I thought um, In the Land of Blood and Honey while it wasn't a perfect film, um, was a good wartime drama. And it was a serious movie and Unbroken, which she mm, did. I wasn't a big fan of that, as you I know. I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I mean, it was a very solid Hollywood-style film that, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a good, solid, big-budget drama. I mean, she, you know, she proved that she could do that. And here, she delivers this movie that is the kind of thing I think you would expect from... Uh, like, a, like a 20-year-old in film school who is mm. besotted with the French New Wave and has made this horrible mistake of thinking that if you want to make a serious European-style film, it has to be slow and eventless, that no one can do or say anything. Everyone just has to stand around looking good and smoking and staring at each other. And that is what they do oh. through the entire film, except when they want to say something kind of nasty to each other and then so you have you know have a good day I won't I know you know they have these little exchanges that sort of seem bitter and hostile and it is just one of the most interminable experiences <laughs> I have had and I was shocked I was shocked and I also want to say I was shocked that Angelina Jolie for being this really strong director and I think one of the most accomplished women in Hollywood and a very, a, a very a sort of an iconic figure for, for women in Hollywood has written this role for herself that is just pathetic. It's the kind of role, this, this vain, lying, uh, spineless, weak, sexually manipulative, needy woman who can't even articulate her thoughts. I, I, literally, there are times when, when things get stressful in this movie. She just starts, she starts mewing like a kitten, oh just, like, just, just wordless mewing. And um, I just thought, you know, if a man had written that role, we would all be appalled. We would, we would, everybody would have called that role just a misogynistic cliche. You, you would have been shocked 
that a man would write that role in 2015. But she wrote it. She wrote that role and she gave it to herself. And I was baffled by that. I was I was I was it's a very odd thing to see. Do you feel that that's because the movie is taking place in the 1970s that she was trying to do a throwback to that? I think she was trying to do a throwback to this old kind of classic French cinema. But I think it was it's just such a mis. It's like a it's like a Woody Allen parody of a, of a French film or a, or a Bergman <laughs> film. Do you know what I mean? Like it's called September. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's this, it's the, you know, people just sitting motionless and staring. I just kind of thought, come on. Anyway, I just, I found it, it's one of the worst movies, definitely of the year, and and probably one of the worst movies I've seen in the last few years. I thought Ooh. By the Sea was a an awful date. Well, let's move on to a date that's getting some accolades. Spotlight. Now, yes. This is the movie that's all about the Boston Globe team. They're called Spotlight. They do deep dive investigative journalism. You know, you have your Metro desk, you have your entertainment desk and so on, and then you have your Spotlight desk. Yep. And this is a small team of investigative reporters that actually exists at the Boston Globe. And during um, 2001, they did a deep dive into what was happening in the Catholic Church regarding sex abuse of children. And... They didn't want to just look at a couple of cases because that had been done before. Mm-hmm. People had said, oh, this priest had done something wrong. This child has been an abuse victim. But they wanted to take it all the way to the top where they could show that cardinals were signing off on these abusive priests and saying, oh, we'll just reassign you. Oh, we're yeah. not going to get you in trouble. Oh, we'll actually get a defense attorney for you and make sure that you're taken care of. We'll make sure that this isn't handled in the courts. Or if it's handled in the courts, all the records are hidden so people can't access right. them. We'll make sure that our investigative report shows that this isn't just a case-by-case thing, but this is a giant issue within the church that the church is participating in and covering up. Here's a clip. This is Boston, and the church does not want them to be found. So, they are not there. Mitch, are you telling me that the Catholic Church removed legal documents from that courthouse? Look, I'm not crazy. I'm not paranoid. I'm experienced. Check the docket. You'll see. They control everything. Now, the film has um, a pretty great cast. Yeah. Rachel McAdams, who I love. Yep. Um, Mark Ruffalo, John Slattery, Michael Keaton playing an editor once again, uh, yeah. and, first time since the paper, I think. Yeah. And then Leif Schreiber as their new yep. editor-in-chief who really gets them on this path in the first place because they don't like to be assigned stuff. Yeah, it was fascinating about the to learn that about the spotlight team that basically yeah. they just they just did their own stories and didn't tell anyone about them at all. <laughs> and then they have this new editor in chief who says, "No, you're actually going to do this story." And they're like, yeah. "We don't take assignments." And he says, "You are this time. Yeah, you're taking this assignment." And all of them are pretty dismissive of the story. And I thought that was one of the fascinating parts of this. Of yes, it comes up over and over again that all of this information has been sent to them emailed to them, put on their desks repeatedly for over five years. By lawyers, by uh, victims' advocacy groups, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that the Spotlight team and that the Metro Desk and everybody else who was at this at this paper just pretty much didn't treat it like it was a big deal. Yeah. And so it took this new editor-in-chief coming in for them to actually treat this like it was a real issue. Yeah. So, Rafer, what did you think? Um, you know... I I liked this film a lot. Um, You know, if I had to choose between the two big journalism films that came out, this one and also Truth about uh, Rathergate, but the Dan Rather uh, uh, story from uh, George W. Bush's uh, years, 
Um, I would still choose Truth because I think it's a little more interesting to me. This and one's it's very intense. Yes, this one's, and I, I only say that because this story, as we all know, is a little more clean cut. It's a very triumphant journalism story of of people who did this deep digging, broke open this incredibly worthwhile story, and really changed the 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 way the Catholic Church operates. Um, and I mean, you could say that the reason we have Pope Francis right now is because of all this stuff that happened with that Boston Globe story. Um, and and as such, I found it um, really, really fascinating and really uh, well done. The director, uh, Tom McCarthy, uh, I think, does a really great job of um, introducing you to these characters but not making them the focal point of the film, not trying to get you too emotionally invested in them. What he really wants to show you is the story, the process, and all of the investigative research and the deep digging, the door knocks, the, um, the interviews, uh, you know, going back through old clips, going back to the diocese directories. I oh, love that part when they was get the that. Best, I oh, thought. It's, it's great. It's because great. It's decades. Yeah. It's- decades of things the size of a phone book yes. that you're going through name by name by name by name and they go through every single directory they, they have created, access they to. They create a big spreadsheet to try to you know crunch these numbers and figure out what's going on. All that stuff I just found totally fascinating and one of the things I loved about this movie is that it doesn't um, it doesn't it doesn't it does, there's no gloss on this movie. Um, the cinematography is very stark. A lot of it just takes place in this crappy little fluorescent lit basement in the bottom of the Boston Globe building that just looks like nothing. And their outfits. Oh my gosh, they're getting so, yes. so much ink on how they dress. And I love <laughs> it. They don't gloss it up at all. No, no, this is just how Boston Globe journalists dress. Right. I mean, they're wearing khaki pants and ill-fitting shirts and they all look kind of like... Yeah, they all they look... They all look like they work at Kinko's Copies. Right. It's not... It's not... It ain't television journalism, right? Right. These guys just look a little rumpled and, you know, at, at normal at best. You know? <laughs> and that's great. Um, and just and, and everything about that really gives you this sense of realism. You never feel like this movie is ginning anything up or prettying anything up or over dramatizing anything. It just really feels like the real story. And as such, uh, I really liked that about it. Again, I I think I feel like there's more to chew on thematically in truth. There's mm-hmm. more there's it's it's just a more interesting story to me, but I thought Spotlight was a terrific film and especially and I and and definitely like one of the better journalism films out there for sure. Yeah, I really enjoyed Spotlight as well, but again, as I said with Truth, hmm. I worry a little bit that I might have the journalist bias here and I wonder are all the other people in the world who are not journalists going to love this film as much as I did? I think th- I think they will be, especially because it shows you in such detail um, how they did it, and it sh- and it and it shows you the dead ends. It shows you how they had to go back, backtrack, convince people that felt a little slighted by them or burned by them in the first place. Uh, people who had become reluctant to talk because they felt like the Boston Globe didn't care. Um, and I think it also does a very good job of showing you um, h- how this stayed a secret for so long. Uh, Stanley Tucci plays uh, the lawyer who kind of initially presents this material to the Boston Globe, um, and he, you know the, his his cases uh, are kind of the, the 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 catalyst for this whole story. 
And he says, which I think is one of the best lines in the film, he says, he says, if it takes a village to raise a child, believe me, it takes a village to abuse one. Mm. And you realize that, and partly you realize this through Michael Keaton's character, that everyone in some way had been kind of complicit Either including by just, the Boston Globe, including the Boston Globe, either either actually complicit and actively covering it up, or just kind of not paying attention and just kind of you know poo pooing it, sweeping it to the side, turning to other more interesting stories. And I thought that was really um, really powerful. Um, so I, I I I love this movie. I think at this point, um, if the Danish girl uh, doesn't take it away from it, I think this is the big Oscar contender. Interesting. Yes. I still think Room has it, but. Room? Oh, no, I don't we'll, think so. We'll go back to that. Yeah, all right, okay, all right. Okay, We'll get to that. <laughs> Great date. All right, well, stay with us because when we come back, some listener mail and, of course, trivia. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And Rafer, we have some mail here in our mailbag. Oh, yeah. What do we have here? Well, we've got a, a, a post that came in uh, from Victor on Facebook. Victor wanted us to tell us what movies uh, that we haven't seen, that when we reveal that, people get enraged. <laughs> What's that movie that you say, you know, i never seen that. And everyone just goes, oh, my God. And all of a sudden, your status has dropped. And he said that his was... Spinal Tap, which I have to say, <laughs> what? Just, that's a that's that, a bad that's, one. That's, that's bad, a big Victor. mess. That's, that's a bad. big mess. You should see Spinal Tap. You should. You really should. And turn it up to eleven. All right. However, <laughs> neither Kristen nor I really have room to talk because we also have a few big glaring omissions in our uh, in our canon of movies. Kristen, you go first. All right. I have a lot I could confess to. A lot. Okay. And part of this is because when I was studying film in my undergraduate days, we watched a lot of snippets of films. Ah, uh, yeah. But we rarely watched films all the way through. Gotcha. Because you're covering so much film. And, right. You know, there are millions of movies out there. So one of the first, this is probably enrages people the most of all, of all things, the Godfather trilogy. Wow. Because because Kristen. I've tried so many times and I always fall asleep. And then really? I wake up and I don't know which movie I'm on, but I always try to watch all three at once. And it's happened repeatedly. And I fall asleep and I wake up. I'm like, what's happening here? And then it turns out I'm on another movie. And there's <laughs> Sofia Coppola well, there who's say. like cutting onions or something. Is that, is that Al Pacino or is that Andy Garcia? It's so bad. I just, yeah. And anytime I say this to somebody, they react just like you did. Like, what? Yeah. Well, I can, I can, I can understand that. Um, all right. Well, I'll give you one that uh, that I never saw. Um, Independence Day from 1996. Rafer never saw it. This is this is vital to our generation. I I know it is. It's it's the it's the granddaddy of all disaster flicks. It's the it's the disaster flick that restarted the the genre. Um, you know, but uh, at the time, you know, and I wasn't a professional film critic back then. Um, and at the time. You know, I had other things that I was interested in movie-wise, and I not, wasn't going to go see... Not seeing the best movie of the year that <laughs> I was not interested in seeing Will Smith. That was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, in the top 10 grossing films of that year. Oh, that, that, film, is a, that film is a huge success and a huge reason why, uh, why we all know Will Smith as well. I mean, that was, a, that was the, crowning, the crowning moment for Will Smith. But, uh, and, you know, look, for, you know, I, I, have, I have cram-watched that. I have I've skimmed through it, seen the clips, Skimming done the research. Skimming is not the same. That's like 
me in school. I know, but it's not the same. So Independence Day is, is, one, of, is one of my gaping holes. All right. So one of my big gaping holes is Blade Runner. Wow. Blade Runner. I remember watching clips in school. I remember watching um, Sean Young play the piano in some scene. Uh-huh. And then we find out she's an android, I think. Replicant. A replicant. And that's all I've seen of that movie. Good Lord. Is that it's, scene. That one scene. Oh, Kristen. You know, the problem is you're talking to a huge Blade Runner fan. Blade Runner, to me, was just one of the the movies of all time. And I don't still know is. anything about it. I know there's androids and that it's based on Replicants, some story about... Replicants, <laughs> It's based on some story about when electric sheep dream. Yes, what do it's they... Philip K. Dick. Kristen. I... Harrison what do Ford, I know Sean of this? Young, Edward James Olmos, Rutger Howard, Daryl Hannah. My Darryl, God. Oh, Splash. Yes. <laughs> Splash. At least we've seen Splash. Oh, we've both seen Splash. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, my turn. Um, Sling Blade, the Billy Bob Thornton movie. Oh, Never saw it. Oh, hold don't know, on. Don't even know anything about it. Isn't that the same year that Independence Day came out? <laughs> Isn't that like 96? Where were you in 96, Rafer? Drunk, probably. <laughs> that could explain a few things. Uh, yeah. That is, that is the year that Billy Bob Thornton exploded. That's when everybody was, ex- like, they, they were imitating his weird accent and stuff in the movie. And he gonna, wrote I'm that, gonna, directed it. He did the whole thing. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose a question to you right now. Is it fiction or is it documentary? <laughs> I actually don't know. That's how little I know about Sling Blade. <laughs> I just missed the boat on it, and I've never gone back to catch that boat, and I'm sorry. All, All right. right. I, I can top you, though. Okay. I can top you, though. 2001. Oh, for the love of God, Kristen. A space odyssey. And you know what I saw? You know what I saw? Again, in school, I saw a bone being thrown in the air by a caveman. Yes. You saw the Thus Spake Zarathustra sequence. Yes. And that's all I remember. And the bone turns into a spaceship or something. That's correct. And then there are people dressed all in white um, stretch outfits. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's all I know. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, except it's, you know, probably my... It's neck and neck for my first favorite movie of all time. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all. I mean, it's only neck and neck with Barry Lyndon, another Kubrick film. You're um, kidding? Yeah. No. 2001. Uh, it's how have we been friends this long, Rafe? And I didn't know this was one of your favorite movies of oh, all time. Oh, 2001. Don't I ever? I feel like that's all I ever talk about. Wow. No, you talk a and... lot about John Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. Oh yeah. No, to me, it's you know, it's 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 the Beatles and Kubrick and the Clash. That's all wow. I ever talk about, and the Smiths. Yeah. Yeah. Except AI. Let's not talk about AI. Well, that's different. That's not cool. Eyes that's, wide shut. That's, that's Spielberg. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, my last one. And again, I, ha- I have skimmed this film and I have seen the clips and I know about it, but I've never really seen it. Goonies. And I don't know how I missed Goonies. It is, it is one of the films of our generation. It's I, about I know. kids being empowered, about solving their own mysteries, about looking at the mysteries of the universe and saying, yes, I embrace this. Yes. I, 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 I know. I, uh, I, I rented it recently, actually, to show it to my kids because I thought, well, you know, I've never actually really seen Goonies. I mean, I, I, I know everything about it. I know who's in it. And I know the whole kind of reputation that it has. And so I, uh, we rented it. I showed it to my kids, and um, they were just completely bored. <laughs> Which surprised me, uh, but they were, just, and so we turned it off, and then I, I still haven't seen Goonies. Oh, wow, that's our list, yeah. listeners. If you have movies that people go what when you say you haven't seen them, let us know. Write to us on Facebook, 
facebook.com slash movie date podcast. We would love to see what your movies are that you should have seen but haven't seen. You can also go to facebook.com slash movie date podcast if you have an answer to our trivia question. So, uh, yes. Rafer, last week for trivia, last week, which seems like a long time ago because I was for, sick. It feels like you, 10 especially. weeks ago. Yeah. We were talking about the movie Brooklyn, and we posed the question, what other movie in Brooklyn is this clip from? Loretta Castorini, will you marry me? Yes, Ronnie. In front of all these people, I'll marry you. Do you love him, Loretta? Ma, I love him awful. Oh, God, that's too bad. We got a lot of right answers on that one. So many right answers. Apparently, people know Brooklyn Heights pretty well. Yes, so, they do. So here's just one of the correct answers. Hey, Rafer and Kristen. This is Eric from Oyster Bay, Long Island, attempting this week's movie date uh, trivia, which would be Moonstruck, a gem of a film, if you ask me. It's one that I always liked, but... Being born and raised and spending most of my life as a Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania farm country, I didn't realize until I moved to New York and married an Italian, it's actually a documentary. Fabulous movie. Great work, guys. Keep it up and keep passing the open windows. Eric, you are correct. Moonstruck. Great job, Eric. And wh- hold on, what's the open windows reference, Rafer? That's a uh, that's a little reference to the Hotel New Hampshire. Uh, that's what the characters uh, say to each other: "Keep passing the open windows," meaning don't jump out of them. Oh, keep your chin up, stay alive. Oh, yeah, that yes. all makes sense now. Yes. Okay, thanks for that, Eric. Thanks, Eric. We will keep passing the open windows. So, Kristen, this week, uh, because we've been talking about uh, By the Sea, the abysmal Angelina Jolie film <laughs> about uh, a marriage that's on the rocks. We started thinking about other movies that might be about uh, marriages that are going through a tough time. We're not going to choose uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. We mentioned that. It's kind of an obvious one. We chose one that, uh, not quite so obvious, but we think you'll know it. Here's a clip. When I watch you eat, when I look at you lately, I just want to smash your face in. Smash my face. I want a divorce. You can't have one. Rocky. That marriage is Rocky. Yes, but it's not the movie Rocky. That's a different movie. <laughs> it's a different movie. <laughs> Which we've both seen, by the way. Yes, yeah, we, we have. have. Okay, that's one point for us. Yes. But... If you know the name of that Marriage on the Rocks film, give us a call. 5717 Movies. Or, of course, you can write to us at facebook.com slash podcast. Show it.